see everybody out again tonight. Uh, let's do this old song we hadn't done in in a long time. I need thee every hour. It's 330. I need thee every hour, most precious Lord. Oh, most like page 313. Oh 
have somebody with me to share the heavy load. I feel His presence near me every day. And although trouble overtakes me along my weary road, I have somebody with me on the way. Well, if you have somebody with you, say amen. Amen. Good to see you tonight. We appreciate you being here. One announcement tonight, and then we'll uh, read our prayer list. Uh, this coming Saturday on September the 10th at 10 o'clock here at the church will be a ladies' meeting, our first one under the new church year. So you ladies plan on being here and praying for that meeting at 10 o'clock this coming Saturday. Um, as far as our announcements go, we've got some of our very own that we need to really pray for. Ms. Carolyn Watkins, we need to continue praying for her. Jennifer Sykes, that, that the Lord would continue touching her and her recovery from her surgery. I got an email from our IT guy, uh, Gary Davis, and he's been having some terrible pains and problems with his neck. And they're talking about surgery, but anyway, he let me know that that's why he hasn't been coming around here lately. But we need to pray for Gary Davis, Larry Banks, Hannah Hurd, Melissa Chapman, and Shane Howell. How about your prayer request tonight? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's that's sad what's been going on with him. Yeah, yeah. Um, how old is he? 20, 27, 26, 27 years old. Preacher and he and his wife went out to eat and, and they both got sick, but he wound up with an infection that got into his brain. And uh, wound up in the hospital, and they pronounced him clinically dead, and was signing the the death papers on him. He was an organ donor, and his wife went in there and and talked to him and said, said, "Honey, if you can hear me, I want to know it." And he squeezed her hand, and feet flinched, and uh, she said, "Huh." And his heart rate went up when he when he tried to communicate with her. Yeah, after three days, and they were about to harvest his organs, and uh, all of that happened. She got hold of the dog. She said, "You ain't touching him," and he's still living, and and uh, and she's claiming claiming healing, complete healing for him. So we need to really pray for Ryan Marlowe that God would raise him up off of that bed. Anyone else? Any other prayer requests tonight? Sister Charlene. Anyone else? Anybody else on your hearts that we need to pray for? How many of you in here need prayer? We all do. 
This is Wednesday night prayer meeting, and we want to be faithful to, to pray for these prayer requests. An amazing thing about our God, he knows every name that's on this list. He knows every one of them, and he knows exactly what they need in their lives. We may pray and miss the mark, but he won't. He knows what to do. So let's come and gather around these altars together and, and pray together tonight. And uh, if you need to give any missionary offering, you can give it and get your study sheet for tonight. Y'all come on. something in your life that you just really don't understand but you're just trusting God through it all we all do we all do one day we'll understand it better by and by amen I'm so thankful that one day we will know what our God was up to amen all right let's take our study sheets tonight we're in the book of Acts we're going to finish up chapter one tonight Thank you, orchestra, for being such a, a good orchestra. They're good, ain't they? Amen. Them two right there, they, they're something else. I have to pick them up, pick them on, <laughs> and point them out. 
just to get her face to turn red. Amen. <laughs> That's huzz and buzz. That's what I've called them ever since I've been up here. Huzz and buzz. Y'all know that's two Bible names. They were they were two brothers in the Bible. Huzz and Buzz. <laughs> How would you like to have that name? Amen. All right. We're going to, like I say, we're going to finish up Acts chapter 1 tonight. We're going to begin actually in verse number 12 and come right on through to the end of that chapter. And remember, it started out with Jesus talking with his disciples and explaining some things to them. And they were curious about the kingdom of God and, and wanted to know whether that was going to be reestablished and, and put back into existence for the nation of Israel, the kingdom of heaven. And, uh, and uh, he said, listen, don't be worrying about that. Something's going to be happening in just a few days in your life. You're going to receive a power you've never had before. And he said, when this power comes upon you, you're going to be witnesses unto me and begin in Jerusalem, Samaria. And he said, even to the uttermost parts of the earth, you're going to be witnesses to me. And there's just some things in life that we need to, we need to just not worry about, but just worry about the main thing. Make the main thing the main thing. And that is being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight before we begin our time together around this study. And then we'll, we'll uh, look at it together. Our Father, tonight as we come before you, Lord, we sure do love you. And thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. Here we are again tonight, Lord, as your people, Lord, gathered around to, to learn something more about you. So, Lord, open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, touch us all tonight. Lord, these people that's in this room tonight, Lord, are my heroes. They're the Wednesday night crowd. They're the ones, Lord, who have worked and labored all this week, but yet here they are tonight, faithful to you. And, Lord, I'm so thankful, Lord, to be a part of their lives and just ask God as we, as we partake of the good word of God that, Lord, you please bless it to every heart that's here tonight. Lord, thank you for loving us the way you do, and thank you for being the God that you are. In Jesus Christ's name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. All right, let's look at our study sheets together, and, uh, and we'll look at the last portion of Acts chapter 1. Jesus has now gone home, and his disciples watched the event with amazement. He had come into the world just 33 years earlier, and yet he is the eternal and everlasting God of creation. Without beginning and to be certain, without any ending, Jesus came to where we were so that we might go to where he is. The disciples were a chosen lot of men who were privileged to witness his wonderful earthly life. Some of them never fully understood who Jesus was. Philip asked Jesus a question one day, and Jesus revealed a great truth to him. In John 14, verse 8 and 9, we read about this, where it said, Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Look what Jesus replied to him. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father, and how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Many of God's people have been saved for a long time, and yet 
They have never taken the time to get to know the one who saved them. A few of the disciples knew who Jesus was and wanted others to know him also. In 1 John, John writes about this in the first four verses of his beginning of that epistle. He said, that which was from the beginning, talking about Jesus Christ, which we have heard, which we have seen with our hands, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. That's Jesus Christ. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. There's a real joy in knowing Jesus Christ. Can I get a witness right there? Anyone who truly knows Him will want others to know Him also. Now these disciples will need to learn to live by faith and continue following Jesus without His physical presence among them. First, out of these last few verses of Acts 1, let's, re let's consider the return of the disciples. Then it says it like this. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. Which is from Jerusalem a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in. They went up into an upper room. Where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew. Philip and Thomas. Bartholomew and Matthew. James the son of Alphaeus. And Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Just before his ascension, Jesus had instructed his men to wait in Jerusalem for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we read about this in Acts 1 verse 4 and 5. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not Depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. It, in obedience to his command, the disciples walked the short distance back to Jerusalem. A Sabbath day's journey was the distance any Jew was allowed to walk by, by law was allowed by law to walk or travel on a Sabbath day. It was a reasonably short distance of about two-thirds of a mile. Once they arrived, they entered an upper room. The upper room was the best in the house. It was usually situated above the rest of the house and used as the living area of the wealthy. Guests would also be entertained in the upper room. This particular room could have been the same place Jesus observed the Last Supper with His disciples, and it is the only other time an upper room is mentioned in Scripture. We read about this in Mark 14, verse 13 through 15. We read these words, And He sendeth forth two of His disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the goodman of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber, 
where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. Now watch this. And he will show you a large upper room. Only other time it's mentioned in the, in the Gospels. Furnished and prepared there, make ready for us. All of the remaining disciples were there. Some women were present. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. And the brothers of Jesus were there. They all came together for one purpose, and that was to pray. After all, Jesus was now gone from them. What else could they have done? It is in the times of our lives when we don't know what to do. And can I get a witness? There's going to be many that we should pray, pray, and pray. So many times we want to try and fix the unknown or fill those empty times with busyness. Either way, nothing short of time in prayer will prevail. Prayer is the child talking to his father. Prayer is the disciple talking to his master. Prayer is the saved talking with their savior. Prayer is the servant talking with his Lord. Prayer is not an empty exercise, even though we pray to the invisible God. We who are saved do not have to convince our father to listen. His love for us has already opened the door. It is a tragedy for any of God's children to fail to take advantage of the greatest protection and power we have ever been afforded by our Heavenly Father, prayer. Jonathan Edwards wrote these words. He said, seeing we have such a prayer hearing God as we have heard, let us be much employed in the duty of prayer. Let us pray with all prayer and supplication. Let us live prayerful lives continuing instant in prayer. Prayer is not optional for the believer. It is impossible for us to live as God commands and fulfill his purpose unless we are people of prayer. The disciples are praying. Women are praying. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is praying. And his brethren are praying. Prayer is also the great unifier of God's people. Keeping God's people together in prayer is the means by which the Holy Spirit knits our hearts together. This pattern of togetherness in prayer will continue throughout the book of Acts. We'll read about it a little bit later in Acts 2, the ending of that chapter. And look what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread. Look at this. And in prayers. This mention of Mary in Acts 1.14 is the very last mention of Mary in the Bible. The Catholic Church builds its church and its doctrines around Mary. And yet there's no further mention of her in the Bible. They teach that Mary had no other children other than Jesus and claim that she was a perpetual virgin. Yet our text and other scriptures proclaim over and over the fact that she had more children. They teach that Mary was sinless, and yet she called Jesus her Savior in Luke 1, 47. They claim that she is the mediator between God and man, but the Scriptures claim that only Jesus holds that position in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5. It says there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. There's not but one mediator, and His name is Jesus. They also claim that Mary is the mother of God. And God never had a beginning or birth. 
Many are the heresies and blasphemies which occur when someone abandons the Scriptures as their authority. Now let's consider from some of these verses of Acts 1, the reward of iniquity. Verse 15 through 20 of Acts 1 reads like this, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the numbered names together were about 120. Men and brethren, the scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Alcadema, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his, speaking of Judas, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Peter is the predominant spokesman in the first part of the book of Acts. He stands up with about 120 people present. That's a large upper room that they're in. And begins addressing them concerning Judas, the betrayer. Judas was a member of the original 12 disciples and was chosen to be so by Jesus. Several times throughout the scriptures, Judas is named and known as the betrayer. In Matthew 10, verse 4, it says this, Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. In Mark 3, 19, it says it like this, And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, went into a house. Luke 6, 16, And Judas, the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. John 6, 71, he spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. He played a special role among the twelve and would die in shame and disgrace. Even though he had the privilege of following Jesus all those years, he never was a part of them. He cared for no one and was more interested in money than anything else. We read about this in John 12, verses 4 through 6. Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. He had his thieving hands in the till and thought nothing of the needs of others. On the night of the Last Supper, Judas went out and for 30 pieces of shame betrayed the Son of God into the hands of those who arrested him. We read about this in Matthew 26, verse 14 through 16. Then one of the twelve called Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priest and said to them, What will you give me? And I'll deliver him unto you. And they covenanted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. After the betrayal and arrest of Jesus, Judas takes the money and throws it at the feet of those who gave it to him, thus fulfilling the scriptures which prophesied this crime. 
In Matthew 27, 3 through 10, we read these words. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, looked at this, repented himself. He didn't repent before God. He repented himself. He repented that he got caught. He was not repented of what he had done. He repented that he got caught. He repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders saying, I've sinned and that I've betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See thou to that. And he, and he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful for us to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. This is written about in the book of Zechariah. Matthew says it was spoken by Jeremy, or this Jeremiah, the prophet, evidently Jeremiah spoke this prophecy, but Zechariah actually recorded it for us. And we read this in Zechariah 11, 12, and 13. And I said unto them, if you think good, this is Jesus, this is Judas speaking. If ye think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized out of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. That was prophecy given in the book of Zechariah of what Judas would do when he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Judas hung himself and at the resurrection an earthquake took place which caused the body of Judas to fall into the field of blood. So with the only money Judas ever earned, he stole the rest. He bought a field that would become his shameful burial plot. Actually, there was no burial for his body burst when it fell, leaving a stinking mess as the shattered and scattered body of the betrayer was last seen. What a reward he earned, the reward of his iniquity. Peter refers to a passage that David had written in the book of Psalms concerning what would happen to the man who betrayed Jesus Christ. In Psalm 69, we're about to read this, and I want to I preface it before I do read it to you. This in Psalms, and you'll find this happening several times in the book of Psalms. Throughout the book of Psalms, sometimes you'll read a passage of scripture and it'll be a prophecy of what's actually going to happen in the life of Jesus Christ. In, for example, Psalms 22 starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Who is that? That's Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. And so you're reading about something in the book of Psalms that's going to happen to Jesus Christ. Now, what we're about to read in Psalm 69 is Jesus Christ talking and praying for the man 
who's going to eventually betray him. Oh, you talking about, I'm glad I'm on the right side of Jesus. Let's read this together in Psalm 69, 21, 20 through 28, just to show you that it's Jesus. They gave me also gall for my meat. Who is that? That's Jesus. In my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Remember when they did that on the cross? This is Jesus speaking. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their, this is Jesus praying. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. For they persecute him whom thou hast smitten. And they talk of the grief to those whom thou hast wounded. Add iniquity under their iniquity. And let them not come into thy righteousness. You know what he's praying? Don't let them get saved. Don't let them get saved. He goes on, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. No wonder Jesus said about Judas in Mark 14, 21, The Son of Man indeed goeth as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And finally, we want to consider from the remaining verses of chapter 1, the replacement for Judas. We read about it in verse 21 through 26. He said, wherefore these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went out and in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, Show whether of these two thou hast chosen that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The disciples begin the task of searching for someone to take the position that Judas left vacant. That must have been a daunting task for the disciples and the one who would be chosen to be known as the disciples who would replace Judas, the betrayer, would be quite the stigma to overcome. Yet they knew they needed someone to partner with them in their continuing ministry. The requirements were simple. The replacement needed to be of those who followed Jesus and his disciples beginning with the baptism of John, and I think that that included being baptized by John the Baptist until the present moment. The reasoning for this qualification was threefold, and these are also the qualifications to be considered when choosing someone to fill a needed position within the church today. Number one, they needed someone faithful. Remember, they said we need someone who had been with us all this time from the time of John's baptism up to this very present moment. They needed somebody faithful. 
Too many times, someone is chosen who is not faithful, hoping that the position would encourage their faithfulness. If they are not faithful in the least, they will not be faithful in the much needed position. Paul said that the Lord looked at one thing in his life before he placed him in the ministry. And Paul talked about this in 1 Timothy 1.12. And he said, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, look at this, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I remember the first time I ever had a, uh, an associate pastor in the ministry down in Waycross that worked up under me. We were talking one day and I told him, I said, Brother David, I said, God is going to be looking at one thing in your life. He's going to watch you closely. He's going to watch your, he's going to watch your faithfulness. And that's going to depend on how God is going to use you in the ministry. If you're faithful to the Bible reading, faithful to pray, faithful to church services, God watches our faithfulness. And that's what they needed to replace Judas was somebody that would be faithful. Second thing, that the reason that this was so important was they needed someone that understood ministry. The ministry is not ours. It is the Lord's ministry. The place of ministry is a position of service and sacrifice. In Matthew 20, verse 25 through 28, But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give himself, his life, a ransom for many. And the third reason that this qualification was so paramount was they needed someone to be a bold witness. There was a new message to proclaim and the mission was great. They would need the boldness of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish this task. The same requirement is needed today. We need those who are bold in their faith to witness the name of Jesus Christ. I studied the, the thought of boldness there for just a little bit as I was preparing this lesson. Boldness is contagious. You get somebody bold for Jesus Christ and let them hang around some, some other Christian, their boldness will catch on. Look what it says in Philippians 1.14, Paul writing this. He said, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Boldness was the prayer request of the early church. In Acts 4.29, they're, they're praying. They said, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. And I love this one. Boldness is found by spending time with Jesus. In Acts 4.13, we read these words. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John... And perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they'd been with Jesus. You know, that's one of the greatest compliments that could ever be given any child of God.
Uh, there's something different about him. And you know what I believe it is? They've been spending time with Jesus. What a compliment. After prayer, two men are chosen, Joseph and Matthias. They cast lots and the, lots, the lot falls upon Matthias. The means of making determinations uh, was often found by the casting of lots, especially in the Old Testament. On the Day of Atonement, the choosing of the scapegoat was determined by casting lots. And you read about that in Leviticus 16. The dividing of the promised land in Joshua's day was determined by lots. Joshua 14. The different duties of the temple were determined by lots in 1 Chronicles 25. This process was allowed by the Lord and usually consisted of colored stones thrown into the lap of an individual and them being covered with a cloth. Someone would then reach under the cloth and the stone chosen would indicate who's, who was selected. We read about this in Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. The lot falls in favor of Matthias, and he is now a member of the twelve. Nothing else is recorded in Scripture concerning this man. His name means gift of the Lord, and other than that, nothing else is known of him, and he's never mentioned again in the Word of God. In closing, there are two predominant men in this portion of our study, Peter and Judas. Both men had their issues and problems. Judas let his issues and sins control his life to his miserable ending in shame. Remember the life of Peter. Peter denied the Lord, but he was able to recover through his relationship with Jesus. The Lord cornered Peter after a fishing trip, remember in John 21, and questioned him about his love and devotion to Jesus. After three pressing and deep moments with the Lord, Peter came forth ready to serve the Lord again in power and assuredness. You may have messed up, and we all have. Say amen right there. You may have messed up, but let your relationship and love for Jesus be accounted for. Your loving Jesus is important to him. Remember, he asked, you, he asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? It was important to Jesus that Peter tell him, Lord, I love you. But your loving Jesus is so very important in your life as you press onward throughout your Christian journey. Donna, an illustration grew in a Christian home in South Carolina. She went to church beginning in nursery school. In high school and her early college years, she devoted herself to Christian youth groups and even served as a summer missionary teaching the Bible to young people from 50 churches. In her latter college years, Donna said her priorities began to shift. She entered a beauty contest with the motivation of winning a free trip to New York hoping to gain a foothold in a career of modeling and acting. She stopped attending church and reading her Bible. She said, my going prodigal was a series of left turns. It didn't happen overnight. It was a series of subtle 
compromises. In 1987, life would never be the same for Donna Rice when magazines and newspapers around the world published pictures of her sitting on the lap of Democratic presidential candidate Gary Harden. Some of y'all probably remember that. When the scandal broke, Donna was on her way to achieving her dreams. Her bad choices left her broken. She refused offers to sell her story for a movie of the week and even her own television series. Donna sought out the friendship of Christian friends and family and began to seek the Lord again. Donna found hope in the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, 28. She realized that good could result from her situation. Donna said, my identity was really in Christ. Even though I'd made a big mistake with my lifestyle, God used the trials to conform me to his image. Over time, God rebuilt Donna's life and is using her again. Donna married John Hughes in 1994 and became the spokeswoman for Enough is Enough, an organization dedicated to protecting children from internet pornography. She authored a book outlining ways to parents can protect their children from obscenity online. She has received numerous awards for her tireless work. Looking back on her life, Donna Rice Hughes said, If none of this had happened, I may not have ever come back to the Lord. Despite our failings, God does use all things for good. Never underestimate the great things God can do when you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. I want to wind up like Peter, not Judas. Amen. Amen. We all mess up in life somewhere. But thank God, God is the God of second, third, fourth, fifth, two hundredth, second chances. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand tonight and we'll be dismissed and let those youngins come back in here for dismissal on their own. Brother, Brother Navar Han, how about you dismissing us tonight? Tell three people that you love them.